medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen in to these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one -on -one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Geological. My guest today is Jeff Chilton. Jeff is a longtime mushroom geek. He's the founder of Namex, which is a company that does the cultivation uh, processing distribution of a number of medicinal mushrooms. In particular, we're going to be talking today about two of our favorites in the Chinese medicine world, Dongchong Sha Cao, cordyceps, and Lingzhi Rishi mushrooms. Anyone who is a practitioner of Chinese herbal medicine knows about these substances. We know they're precious and amazing medicinals. And I've got Jeff with us today. We're going to go deep into some of the Western science that goes with these, modern-day cultivation, because he's a longtime mushroom geek. He's the founder of Namex, and in the winters, he takes off a little time and goes trout fishing in Patagonia. This guy knows something about how to work hard and how to relax all at the same time. Jeff, welcome to Geological. Hello, Michael. Nice to be here. Great to have you. You've been at this a long time. I'm curious to know how did you get involved with mushrooms in the first place? First of all, growing up in the Pacific Northwest where we get a lot of rain, it's evergreen, something I really love. I love water, but mushrooms are growing all over the place. So I was kind of born into a, an area that was full of these wonderful organisms. So that kind of piqued my interest. And then in university, I decided to study them. So I, I studied them and that was along with my actual major, which was anthropology. And I studied the use of mushrooms by cultures in their religious and healing works. After leaving university, of course, you never you don't really get a job in anthropology. So I thought, well, I, I love mushrooms. I'd really learn like to learn how to cultivate them. So I got a job in 1973 on a very large commercial mushroom farm. And I spent the next 10 years there learning how to grow mushrooms. And, and it was just heaven for me. So that's kind of where this all started was back in the 60s at university and then through the 70s when I'm working on a, on a mushroom farm. And literally, I am living with mushrooms day in and day out. Houses, large houses full of mushrooms in every stage of their growth. Now, this was like mushrooms for eating? This is like you get at the grocery store? This was this was a big agaricus farm, like you see in the button mushroom, like you see in the grocery store. 
the interesting part about my time there, Michael, was that was that we had a Japanese scientist there, and he was growing three other mushrooms uh, as part of our R and D um, project, and these were shiitake, oyster mushroom, and enoki mushroom. So while I was there, I was also exposed to these other mushrooms that were actually being cultivated as well. And in fact, in 1978, on this farm, we put the first shiitake mushrooms in the United States into the markets. And, and here's the funny thing, is that it was a, despite a really good marketing effort, it was a flop. People just were not ready for shiitake mushrooms. This is 1978. A lot of people said they were just too strong. And for me, I love shiitake mushrooms. But they're fabulous. But I remember growing up, mushrooms were this sort of flavorless addition to things. I wasn't even sure why they were in the food. <laughs> well, you, you and uh, classical nutritionists, because the classical nutritionists used to say, well, there's really nothing to mushrooms. And the reason they said that, interestingly enough, was that Mushrooms are low in calories. So if a food is low in calories and there's no real, nothing there to give you any kind of energy, they just think, well, this is kind of there for flavoring and nothing else. Yeah. Well, we know there's a lot more in there and you're deep into the biochemistry of this stuff too, which we're going to get into here in a little bit. I want to start with uh, cordyceps. I, I have a real sweet space in my heart for cordyceps because I've had long-term lung issues. It's actually what took me to Chinese medicine years and years ago. Some time ago, I came across some cordyceps in Taiwan that, that were amazing. And after ingesting those on a regular basis for about four to six months, my lungs fundamentally changed. Wow. I love to hear stories like that. Yeah. I've, I've had patients whose lungs have changed too if, if they'll, you know, stick with it long enough. So uh, cordyceps to me is an amazing substance, you know, and, and we learn about it in Chinese medicine is it, you know, starts off as a bug and it ends up as a, well, as the Chinese <laughs> say, it's how a grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. No, cordyceps, a caterpillar fungus, and they call it uh, winter worm, summer grass. The interesting part about it is this this caterpillar will hibernate over the winter, and this is up in the, the high country the, uh, of Tibet where these are. And while it's overwintering, spores from cordyceps will germinate and they will invade this caterpillar and, and literally eat out the complete inside of the caterpillar. Eat, eat it completely from from top to bottom. It's, you know, if you're a caterpillar, it is like the most horrific thing you can imagine. <laughs> well, it definitely uh, leaves you with nothing but a shell. And then in the summer or late spring, up comes the little fruiting body from this cordyceps. And again, that's what is grass-like. It's not like a normal mushroom. It's grass-like. And so People literally are on their hands and knees combing through uh, pasture lands and open country to find these caterpillar fungus. So what has happened in the last, oh, let's say 10, 15 years is that there's a greater demand for them. And the price has gone from in the 90s I, in Hong Kong, I was going to buy a kilo of them for $1,000 a kilo. Today, that same kilo would cost you $20,000. Well, here's the other thing, at least in, in my experience in China. How do you know you're getting the real thing? Well, you know what? Um, 
that that certainly is an issue. Although I would say it really gets back to who you buy it from and, and how close to the source you are. But but, you know, the, uh, and I think, you know, this, too, is that nobody except the very rich can afford to consume the caterpillar fungus. So it's often given as a gift. And so you go into these stores and sometimes a single little caterpillar with its fruiting body on it will be sold for, you know, maybe $10 for that one little caterpillar and fruiting body. And, and it's also put into really interesting packages and they, they weave it into interesting designs to sell. But again, people will buy it and they'll give it to somebody as a gift. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they say that thing in China about those who buy it, don't eat it. Those who eat it, don't buy it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and But here's the interesting thing to me is that, is that what happened was back in the 1980s, they realized that cordyceps was uh, something where there wasn't a lot of supply. So in China, they started, uh, they, they went out and they, uh, mushroom scientists got cultures of cordyceps and they took them back into their labs. And then they started growing these cultures in very, very large tanks of liquid, what we call liquid fermentation. And they came up with products in liquid fermentation. One of them is called CS4. Very famous. They did a lot of clinical studies on it and analyzed it. And they decided at a certain point that, yes, it's close enough that they started to sell it as a replacement. It was reasonably inexpensive. I mean, I'm quite inexpensive compared to the actual cordyceps. But here is the coolest thing of all. And that is that in the last 10 years, a different species of cordyceps, but one that has been used interchangeably, cordyceps militaris. The other cordyceps is called Cordyceps sinensis, or today Ophia Cordyceps sinensis. But Cordyceps militaris is now being cultivated. So I've actually got the real 100% Cordyceps fruiting bodies, nothing but fruiting bodies, and we are able to to sell that in our business. And and the interesting part about it is when I asked people in the in the industry when I was trying to introduce mushrooms to the natural products industry when i asked them if they'd be interested in cordyceps they said you know um, our customers are vegetarians they're not interested in eating caterpillars of course there's no caterpillar left in it at that point well no and that's right the caterpillar is actually nothing more than a shell and if you break open that caterpillar what you'll find is it's full of the mycelium of this organism and and just so people understand the mycelium is the actual fungal organism that we normally don't see. It's in the ground, it's in wood, it, it is amassing nutrients. And when the season is right, normally for us um, in the Northwest in the fall, temperatures goes down, it starts to rain, that mycelium, which is the vegetative body, will then produce a mushroom. So mycelium is one what we might call plant part the mushroom is another plant part, and then a spore would be the sort of final plant part of this fungal organism that we we call and know commonly as a mushroom. Right. You're talking mycelium. We're talking fruiting body here. And let's just stick with cordyceps for the moment. How are those different therapeutically for one and in terms of some of the science, the various constituents that are in it? 
How would that differ? A couple of things. Uh, both the mycelium and the fruiting body will have beta-glucans in their cell walls. And what people need to understand is that the, the uh, cell wall of all mushrooms is made up of 50% beta-glucan. And these beta-glucans are what science has told us is where all the immunological activity comes from or, or the major part of it. And there's a lot of research that's been done on these beta-glucans. So cordyceps, mycelium, as well as fruit body do have the beta-glucans, although there are more beta-glucans in that fruit body. And the fruit body also will produce compounds that the mycelium does not. In, in cordyceps militaris, that would be cordycepin, which is in there, which is a, a compound that has shown um, certain anti-cancer activities. That's a compound also that Militaris has that Ophiocordyceps sinensis, the caterpillar fungus, does not have. But the other research, well, a lot of the research is based on, on beta-glucans in cordyceps. And so there is that activity there. But also what I what I read about in in Chinese medicine is they used it a lot for fatigue for people coming out of an illness. They would give them cordyceps and, and all of the ancient texts seem to say put the cordyceps in with um, chicken soup. Yeah, we'd use it kind of like you'd use ginseng in a way. It, it, it very strongly tonifies the essential chi. Well, and that's that's an area that's that's interesting to me in the sense that I don't know traditional Chinese medicine very well. I know a lot of practitioners and and I was just at the American Herbalist Guild Symposium and a longtime herbalist named Michael Tierra. I gave him a, a package of our Cordyceps Militaris mushrooms and and he hadn't really tried these before he looked at it i said here take these with you instead he just ripped open the package and and started consuming them yeah it sounds like and, a true herbalist <laughs> and he sat there for about 30 or 40 seconds as he was chewing them and then he closed his eyes and then he said wow he said the chi in these is amazing and i thought wow you know here is somebody who this is what you do as an herbalist. You put it in your mouth, you, you start to chew it up, you taste it, you let it, you let it really kind of resonate in your mouth out into your whole body and you get the feel for this herb. That's what he did. And, and I agree. And, and what my point really on the, on the cordyceps militaris is that for the first time we have a hundred percent fruiting bodies, whereas before we were dependent on either this fermented mycelium product or this very, very expensive uh, caterpillar fungus. So there's some special mojo, so to speak, to the fruiting body. There are beta-glucans in it. It sounds like there's some other constituents. Some of them show anti-cancer effects. This leads me to the, to the next question, which is, so CS4 and how it's different than the military. So what are some other differences between these two uh, types of cordyceps. You know, this this kind of actually gets into an area that I've done a lot of research in the last uh, three years, and and that is the uh, right from the very beginning. And I started my business, Michael, in 1989. I was literally walking around Natural Foods Expo in California with a reishi mushroom in my hand, asking people in the businesses there whether they might not like to put 
mushrooms into their product lines. And everybody looked at me like, you know, what is that? It looks like a piece of wood. And is it real? And why should we do it if there's no demand? And that was sort of like the beginning of all of this. But what I sell and what I totally believe in is the mushroom itself. And part of what I've done from the very beginning in the 90s was develop ways to test my products for the active compounds. We, we developed triterpenoid analysis in the 1990s. And, and I, I feel very strongly about that because I traveled throughout China all through the, the 90s. I visited um, farms. I visited research institutes, of which there are many. I visited uh, processing uh, plants. And I was shown a lot of brown powders. And, and I just looked at it and I went, you know, like, do you want to buy my mushroom, whatever extract? And I'm just right. looking at it like what this, is brown this powder. Stuff? Yeah. How am I, how do I know what, what that is? And so, so testing is very important to me. And, and in the last four or five years, I came across a test that could, um, actually test for beta glucans, which is a real breakthrough and, and the actual fungal beta glucans. And so with this test, I can test the beta glucan. It also gives me the amount of alpha glucan, which are starches. And what I discovered after testing a hundred different products, including 40 products right off the shelf that were calling themselves mushrooms was that there's a lot of products out there that where they were actually growing this mycelium on grain. And then they were drying it, grinding it to a powder and selling it as mushroom. And, and the testing demonstrated that there was very little fungal matter and therefore low beta glucans and very, very high amounts of starch. And here's the thing is that mushrooms do not contain starch. Mushrooms, mushrooms like humans actually have a small amount of glycogen, like less than 5% of glycogen, but no starch. And some of these products were as much as 60% starch. And the reason was that they did not separate the grain from the mycelium. They just ground it all up and then sold it out into the market as, as mushrooms. So a lot of commercial products out there are, in fact, that product. That's a big difference. Oh my goodness. And, and when you, and, and let me tell you the the major brands, if you go into a whole foods or something like that are mycelium on grain. And again, it's mostly starch and very little mycelium and the beta glucan tests demonstrate that. And not only that, we test for triterpenoids. If you test some of those products, like the reishi products that are sold out there and you taste them and, and you know what a reishi mushroom tastes like. I mean, it's got this wonderful bitter flavor. Yeah. It's, a it's, it's kind of a mushroom. And it's a little chocolatey. And you know, it's funny because I just got back from doing a few trade shows and we do what we call the reishi challenge. And I have some of this, <laughs> <laughs> I have some of this ground up mycelium on grain product. And I say, okay, taste that. And they taste it and goes, oh yeah, it tastes pretty bland, kind of like, you know, you'd expect starch or grain to taste. And then I say, okay, taste this. And I've got some reishi extract there and they taste that and they're just like, boom, it's like it explodes in their mouth and they're just like, oh my God. And, and a lot of them have that experience of immediate overwhelming sense of, of chi and, and of medicinal properties. And that's what a reishi extract is supposed to taste like. And, and all of these herbalists, for example, at American Herbalist Guild, they were just flabbergasted at the taste and the differences. And, 
That's what I try to demonstrate with pe to people because I want people to have the real deal. I don't want them to have a facsimile that is going to do nothing because as much as I believe in the placebo effect, I, I actually want to offer something that's not placebo. I want to offer the real deal, an actual mushroom that has the active compounds in it. Yeah, because it makes a real difference. Does it ever? And, and, you know, just to be clear here, I'm not trying to build up the active compounds or anything. I'm trying to, to have a product where all of the compounds occur in the natural profile. So even our extracts are made in that manner. We're not, you know, trying to keep cooking until we've got, you know, we're going to eliminate this and just build up that. That's not what we do. We want we want that natural profile. We want that as much as possible to stay as close to the herb as we can. And we do. And, and our uh, analytical work demonstrates that. And, and here's the thing that's so interesting is that what we did, uh, you know, a lot of, like I say, companies grow this mycelium on grain. Well, we got uh, proximate analysis of the various grains that companies grow on, whether it be rice or um, oats or something. And so we got the, the fats, the, the carbohydrates, the protein. We got the analysis back and then we have analysis of those products. Those products, actually, the uh, nutritional analysis lined up perfectly with the grain. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Ah, so you're getting more grain. You're getting more grain than mushrooms. Oh, oh, you're getting very little fungal tissue, and that's that's what's happening, and that's what's so unfortunate. And and certainly, you know, as a practitioner like yourself, I mean, a you probably like to get your hands on the actual raw materials and the raw herbs and and use them. But for people that want to get uh, some benefits from actual mushrooms, they need to know the differences because when you get out there into the marketplace and just look at labels, you know what you see? You see a, a label and it says reishi mushroom and it's got a picture of a reishi mushroom and that's what you expect you're buying. You know, and it might say organic and that's going to sway people. I exactly. As well. Yeah. I, you know, in terms of taste, like I said, I, I found some stuff in Taiwan. It was probably 10, 12 years ago now that I think about it. I mean, the taste of that stuff. I've never had any, well, I can't say I've never had anything like it. When I ran across your product, I was like, oh, I recognize this. 
remember coming back to the States and I tried to get my hands on some other uh, cordyceps and it was nothing like what I'd eaten before. And I, I've been kind of searching around. I've been nosing around for it, literally. It, it has a certain smell to it. It has a certain taste to it. And now from our conversation, I realize, oh, I, I think I've been eating some militaris, probably fruiting body. I suspect they were doing something similar in Taiwan around that time as well. Well, that, that's possible. I mean, it's only come into cultivation in the last uh, 10 years or so. And, and, you know, for me, as a mushroom grower by trade, when, when a mushroom comes into cultivation, Michael, it is a huge deal because there's only about maybe at most 20 mushrooms out of thousands of species that have actually been cultivated. It's not something that's easy to do. So when a new mushroom all of a sudden appears and we can cultivate it and, and get reasonable yields of it, it is a huge deal. And I, it's just so exciting for me to be able to actually uh, offer people a real cordyceps mushroom uh, fruiting body that otherwise, you know, it would be, we couldn't, we wouldn't be able to us. Uh, have uh, for people. Yeah. Otherwise, you're up there on your hands and knees in uh, <laughs> Tibet, you know, trying to dig it out of the ground. Hey, yes. I, I want to get back to some of this biochemistry stuff. I'm I'm not a biochemistry geek, but you've been using the term beta-glucans. I know that when I look at various advertising for, you know, various products, they'll often talk about polysaccharides as well. Polysaccharide, beta-glucan, <laughs> what are we looking at here? What should we be paying attention to? What do actually the, the question is, what do these things mean? Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, a polysaccharide is a very, very um, special type of sugar. It's a, a long chain of uh, monosaccharides that have been put together. And, you know, for example, um, oats have polysaccharides, uh, the grains, grains all have polysaccharides. And, and this is something that, you know how refined foods these days, they get down and they're just giving us single sugars. And this is part of the problem with that. And a lot of people think that one of the overall problems in our modern diets is lack of polysaccharides. Well, here, here's what happens with, with mushrooms is that, and a beta-glucan is a polysaccharide. But when, if we use polysaccharides as a measure of quality, well, the polysaccharide will also measure the grains. It will measure the starches because starches are polysaccharides. The difference is that what we're looking for is what's called the beta-1316 glucan. It is a very specific type of polysaccharide, and it has a different architecture from the others. Grains are beta beta um, one four. So if, if somebody's got a product out there and they're measuring polysaccharides and they're saying, okay, we've got 60% polysaccharides, isn't that wonderful? Well, no, it's not at all because it's very, very misleading. It could be nothing but, but grain in there. What you want is you want a beta-glucan test, which is essentially a part of this bigger category that we call polysaccharides. So you'd want the beta-glucan and you'd want it tested by you know, a very specific test out there. This test only measures fungal beta-glucans. And that was the game changer here because there were there was a time when I measured polysaccharides in my products and I used to think high polysaccharide, great product. I found out later that some of those products actually were a lot of starch because 
carrier materials that are used, for example, maltodextrin, dextrose, these carrier materials that are often put on, on extracts as a carrier, and, and to a certain degree, a small amount is okay as a stabilizer, but some companies out there, I mean, it is as much as 50% of these uh, carriers like uh, maltodextrin, and I found out that some of the companies that I thought were reasonably good companies were absolutely not that most of what they were selling was carrier material so so a polysaccharide test or analysis when you see a company using that and they're using it with a mushroom product just just don't pay any attention to it because it's literally meaningless and and, well, and here's a real it sounds like it's just not specific enough well it's not specific enough but when i say meaningless what i what i mean too of course is that is it? It's measuring things you don't want. So, so yes, it is not specific enough. It, it we want to drill down a little bit deeper to where we're getting the actual beta one three one six glucans that are specific to mushrooms, and that's what we want to be able to measure and offer to people. And and that was where the whole part of my study that that tested a hundred different products. That's where it just pulled back the curtain on all these products and, and exposed them as being mostly starch. Briefly, what we used as, as the um, standard was we took dried mushrooms. We actually took the mushrooms and we measured them and we've measured mushrooms multiple times. And so we have a standard uh, to which we can compare anything else. That is helpful information. And especially for practitioners that want to make sure that they're getting their patients what they think they're giving their patients. I consider it to be kind of a tragedy because, you know, there are people out there with life-threatening illnesses and they're being told to, to take a medicinal mushroom product because they're going through chemotherapy or radiation or something. And they go out there and they buy these products and they don't know that what they're doing is they're actually uh, consuming something that is mostly starch. And, and uh, I just think it's close to being unethical. Yeah. Let's get back for a moment to some more of this biochemical stuff. What about these triterpenoids? What, what are these and why should we care? Triterpenoids are, are interesting in that they occur in specific mushrooms, not all mushrooms. So the, the mushroom that has the highest amount of triterpenoids is the reishi mushroom. And in a sense, that's what sets it apart from all the others. And triterpenoids, uh, let me just give you a story about that. I was, I was at a conference in China in the 90s, and, and at this conference was a TCM practitioner, and I'm, you know, it's a mushroom conference, and, and he's there, and I'm talking to him about that, and, and he's telling me that reishi mushroom is his number one herb for the liver. And that's where the triterpenoids come in. The triterpenoids are actually something that works with the liver, cleanses liver, helps the liver do its job, um, works for uh, your circulation. That's, I would say, one of the key activities of triterpenoids. And here was a, a man telling me exactly that, that that's what he uses it for. Triterpenoids are in reishi. They're in chaga. They're in a, a couple other mushrooms, Felinus. These are all mushrooms that grow on trees. In fact, most medicinal mushrooms grow on wood, and that's, that's what's interesting about it. The wood actually provides these mushrooms the precursors to produce these compounds. 
just like the compounds in chaga are all in it because those compounds are in the birch tree and the chaga is essentially utilizing them to create some of its own. But the triterpenoids, again, for me, are a liver, something good for the liver. They've also got science now that's showing they are also anti-cancer. And Michael, let me, let me say something too. I've read so much research about mushrooms, so much scientific research. And, and when you start to list the activities of mushrooms, it is, it is like, I think I saw something the other day. It's like a hundred different activities in different parts of the human body, hundred different activities. And for me, I like to pull it all down to let, let's get down to two or three or four of the main activities rather than saying they're, they're a panacea. I really am not happy with the whole idea of panaceas because it, what happens is that it turns out, if you go out on the internet right now, chaga is all of a sudden the panacea. There's nothing it doesn't do. I don't like that. I don't like that talk at all. And well, it's, simply, it's, just, it's just not helpful. Well, it's marketing speak is what it is. And, and for me, I'm like, you know what? Enough of this. Now, now they call chaga the king of mushrooms. And, and listen, in the 70s, shiitake was called the king. In the 80s and early 90s, reishi was called the king. In the late 90s, maitake was all of a sudden the king of mushrooms. And it was just simply who was selling it and who was putting enough money into, into promoting it that, oh yeah, we got a new king of mushrooms and now it's chaga. And I'm just like, you know, let's, let's just stop this. And, and the other term that's coming up right now is adaptogen. And I, I that term's okay. I kind of get it with an adaptogen. It's, and that's what mushrooms are sort of premier adaptogens in that sense. They're there to balance us out and, and they work in the background. And I really believe health is, is all about harmony. It's about stresses. It's about our body being out of balance. And so I think mushrooms in general are plants, um, they're fungi that that actually help to keep us in balance and help us to overcome stress is reishi. I mean, one of the things that reishi is known to do is sort of calm, calm people down. And, and also it's been used for insomnia, which would get right back into the calming. And, and again, it's not going to have the same effect for everybody. I mean, you, you come across that all the time. I'm sure you're giving an herb to somebody and, and you're thinking, okay, it's going to affect them in this way. And maybe it doesn't affect them that way at all. Well, yes, we especially see this with Chinese medicine that different people, given their constitution, given what they've got going on, their strengths, their deficiencies, they'll respond differently to different substances. It's not a one size fits all. In fact, anytime I see something advertised as, you know, like we were saying, the panacea, this is the thing that's gonna that's gonna take care of everything, the answer is always, well, it depends. It's like, what's going on? What, are the, what does this person need? And, and we need different things at different times. Something that might be very beneficial for a person at one stage of recovery from an illness will actually block their progress at a different stage. Right. And, and you know, with, with reishi mushroom, for example, I mean, it's considered one of the premier longevity herbs in China. And the wonderful thing to me is I travel through China and I see images of reishi throughout their art. I see it in their architecture. It's that beautiful spiral cap form that 
you see everywhere over there and you, and you see the actual mushroom in their art and and it's also part of the the different things that the what i'm going to call the god of immortality that they've got and he's this, this wonderful little man bald-headed man he's got this wonderful smile on his face and and he's got a peach and and he there's a deer in the background and sometimes the deer has a reishi mushroom in its mouth or sometimes he has a reishi mushroom hanging from his staff i mean the image is everywhere and i think with with reishi one of the things about it is that Certainly, as we age, um, we have a little bit, let's say, less active immune system. And so taking reishi, and it just sits in the background, and it's just kind of helping us out immunologically and, and hopefully providing a bit more of this longevity. You know, we were earlier in the show talking about cordyceps, the different kinds that are on the market. There's the CS4, there's the Militaris these days. What about reishi? Are there different kinds of reishi out there? And do they have different properties and different sort of biochemical markers? You know, we're talking about beta-glucans and, and those kinds of things. And what I would say is, is you know, one of the things, and, and I'm sure you've, you've been to lots of Chinatowns in the United States, and if you go into the, the uh, Chinese herbal stores, they will have boxes full of black reishi. And this black reishi is Ganoderma sinensis, and it is wildcrafted. It's not grown. It has very low levels of triterpenoids, but it has good amounts of beta-glucans. And the one that they've selected for cultivation in China is in fact this red reishi. And, and the interesting part about mushrooms generally is that a mushroom grown, let's just, let's just say in Missouri, uh, the same species, same genus, uh, let's say Ganoderma lucidum grown in Missouri could be totally different genetically than a Ganoderma lucidum grown on the East Coast somewhere. So what, you, what we call them is a different strain. So if you culture either one of those, genetically, they will produce different amounts of the active compounds. Now, now beta-glucan-wise, they will probably be very similar, but in terms of triterpenoids, they will be very different. So what normally happens uh, is they've selected in China for cultivation certain cultivars that are ones that do produce uh, higher amounts of triterpenoids, but this is a natural process of of selection and uh, use of these things. And, and certainly there's other factors involved, like is it high yielding or, or not? But those two are the primary ones that I see used out there. There are, for example, in, in the United States, one of the uh, reishi mushrooms that we can find is called Ganoderma aplanatum. And it's called the artist conch and, and it grows on, on a lot of different trees. We got a lot of it here. Um, you turn it over and you can actually etch into the underside, under, into the pore layer, which is kind of a whitish. And then you can etch into it and draw fabulous designs. That has that has beta-glucans in it, uh, good levels of beta-glucans. So that's a local one. And then on the East Coast, you actually can go out and get uh, Ganoderma lucidum and harvest it wild. But a lot of mushrooms have medicinal activities, but it's one of those things where Certain ones have been selected as having a higher level of activity than others. And so for me, 
I can say to people, okay, if you're into wild crafting, if you want to do your own sort of reishi mushroom hunting, you can do that. If they're out there and if you're in the right location, there are these other species that you can harvest and get some of the benefits from reishi mushroom. But for me, one of the things about cultivation, and, and I'm not a big fan of wild crafting because it seems like, you know, it always ends up in tears. One of the things about cultivation is we can kind of have a product that we know what we're going to get at the end of the cultivation cycle. So I'm really a big fan of, of cultivating mushrooms and I'm not a big fan of wildcrafting them. And some of them we have to wildcraft, but, but for me, yeah, there's a very specific reishi that I think is the best. And that's the red reishi, the black reishi. I don't know whether you've seen it used at all, but there's enough of it out there. Somebody must be using it in terms of maybe a traditional Chinese medicine practitioners. I don't know. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. This brings me to another question, which is, how to consume these things. I mean, let's say I go wildcraft me uh, a reishi, yes, which which I've never done. Uh-huh. But you know, the reishis I've seen, I mean, they are they're like they're like woody. Number one, how would you eat the dang thing? I get it. How you'd eat a, a cordyceps, right? How do you eat a reishi? And and more importantly, for you know both practitioners and any patients that might be listening, what are the ways of taking these amazing substances? And either, you know, drying them, condensing them in a way that preserves their bioavailability. Maybe I should say in a way that makes sure they're bioavailable. Because sometimes, you know, the dried form of something, just because you eat it doesn't mean you digest it. How can we make sure that, that we're getting the stuff that we think we're getting out of it? And are there particular ways of extracting out the important beta-glucans or other constituents that we want to be paying attention to? You know, I mean, you want something in like in an alcohol solution? Do you just want to grind the stuff up? What's, uh, what are we well, looking for here? Well, well, with reishi mushrooms, I don't know how many blenders have been broken by trying to grind reishi mushrooms up into some kind of a powder or even the, the very first reishi that I took to a hammer mill to have ground up to a powder, it ended up being like cotton. <laughs> and it wasn't really very workable at that point in time. But with reishi, what you have to do is is if you're 
using the actual mushroom, you would want to to put it in water, put it onto a, a, a simmer, and and in the beginning, you know, in terms of cutting it up, man, it's like you either take a hatchet to it and chop it, or you put it in the water for the first let's say three hours of hot water simmer then you pull it out and at that point it's softened up to the where you can take a good knife and cut it into chunks and and so with reishi i i would recommend a a water extract which is like a a tea as your starting point so you'd boil it up um, or simmer it once for maybe i don't know three four hours pour off the fluid uh, do it again keep getting it as fine as you can chopping it as you go and ultimately do it multiple times until there's no actual change in the color of the water. And one of the things that, that people would say about reishi, and again, we do use alcohol in some of our reishi extracts, and they say, well, you can't get the triterpenoids when you are just using water extraction with reishi. And, and that's, that's just simply not true because if you – taste that water extract that you've just made from the reishi you'll find that it is very very bitter the point with alcohol is that there are certain triterpenoids that are not water soluble so they they won't come out but a lot of them will come out in that water extract and the water extract is kind of a very traditional method of taking just about any herb and you know you've probably seen it and i've seen it where they're just boiling the hell out of herbs and with our extracts, for example, we will, the sort of entry extracts we do, we will take the, actually we'll grind up the mushroom to a powder, we'll put it in a very large vessel, we'll, we'll cook it at 80 degrees Celsius for three hours, then we will concentrate the fluid down into, into a um, syrup of a certain density, send all of that powder and all that's uh, still in the fluid, we'll send it off to a spray dryer and that will be our initial extract where we still have all of the mushroom fiber in there, but it's, but it's ground up to a very fine powder. And mushrooms are not really very digestible, so in a sense, when we do that, we're making a lot of that mushroom now. In fact, most of it is now uh, available to us and we've processed it once just to get some of those uh, soluble beta-glucans out into a little quicker acting form. And then we have another uh, line of extracts where we will cook them three times in water. And you know, once we'll take the water off, uh, do it again. And this time we won't have them in a, in a uh, powder. We'll have them in a little coarser uh, grind and we'll cook them three times in water. And then we will separate out the fiber because we can't put all that fiber, let's say, for example, if you want a 10 to 1 extract or an 8 to 1 extract, something more concentrated, we can't put all that fiber into the final one kilo of dried powder. So we, we filter and separate that fiber from the final product. And then we, we, we feel at that point we've gotten everything out of that mushroom fiber. And, and with certain mushrooms like reishi or chaga, we will do a one-time alcohol extract as well. And so then the final product will be a fine powder. But again, it's, it's got everything that was in that mushroom. Nothing really. The thing with mushrooms is that the beta-glucans do not get um, harmed during that extraction process. The triterpenes are still intact. So we're losing, to my knowledge, and we measure a lot of different 
constituents, we're not really losing anything, but we end up with a concentrated extract. And, you know, for a lot of my customers, if they're putting out a product in a 500 milligram capsule or something like that, well, if you have two 500 milligram capsules of chest mushroom powder or or maybe even our one-to-one extract, that really, you need more. You need to to have more. And that's where a concentrate, of course, will come in is you can put less of that into a capsule. Or, or let's say you can put two 500 milligram capsules of the concentrates, and that will give you a true therapeutic dose. Is it true then that you have different product lines? You've got some things that are very concentrated. You have some things that are less concentrated. Is that? That's absolutely right. Yeah, okay. that's absolutely right. And, and, and you know, in, in a sense, with the, the less concentrated extracts, those are ones where we tell people, okay, you, you'll probably need two or three grams of this to, to consume two or three grams for it to be therapeutic. But I deal with companies big and small. I deal with practitioners. A lot of companies, you know, they tend to gravitate to the less expensive products. So I try to make as good a product as I can, which I would call, let's, let's just call it maybe an entry-level product for those companies that go down that road. For example, we have a, a small line, I think six different products that are retail products. We only sell them online. Um, they're in powder form. And and we basically say, you know, one to two grams or, you know, depending. Some of them are the concentrated extracts, like our reishi is a concentrated extract. But the cordyceps, we just have the cordyceps in that one-to-one extract form. And, you know, it's like, okay, you've gotten the powder. Take as much as you want there and see what you need to feel it. So in that sense, to me, I'm like, you know, as long as you are taking enough of these and not, you know, what a lot of people call in the in the industry pixie dusting, where you're just kind of putting a little bit in and, you know, you don't expect much, much effect there, which a lot of companies do. And, and Well, they can say they can put reishi on the label. That's exactly right. And, I, and that's, that's sort of unfortunate. That's just part of the whole business part of business, I guess, that uh, some, some companies will go down that road. But, but at any rate, when we have it in the powder form, we're, we're just inviting people. Look, it's in the powder form. There's, we're not telling you that, you know, take two capsules. I mean, we have to put serving size on there. But, you know, and this was kind of developed for by my son because his generation – likes they have a daily smoothie they love to put you know mix and match they're they're doing their own alchemy every day with a smoothie and they're putting different things in there and that's kind of the delivery system that we we decided upon for those products for his generation although we have come out with the reishi extract in capsules because there are people that are like you know i'm sorry the bitter's too much for me so i i needed a capsule so is there information uh, and I can put all this on the show notes page where a practitioner could go and, and see the various products that you've got available, the ones that are, you know, entry level or the ones that are more, you know, concentrated and therapeutic. Sure. Well, you know, there, there's two places they can go. They can go to Namex.com. And I, I encourage people to go to Namex.com because we have a lot of information there. We've got just a, a ton of information, including I've got a couple of slideshows there that that show the farms where we grow our mushrooms, I've got a slideshow that, that talks about and demonstrates the differences between mycelium on grain and actual mushrooms, shows how mycelium on grain is, is manufactured and what it looks like. And, and uh, then if they want to 
they want to get our products um, in the retail form, they can go to realmushrooms.com. And, you know, here's the thing, too, Michael, is that we <laughs> we put out that retail line. You know, I mean, you know, my son developed it and, and he wanted to get it out to his peers. But one of the reasons we developed it is because a lot of the companies that buy our raw materials will take those and then they'll work it into a formula. And it may be just a small amount of the formula. Very few of the companies actually put it out as a standalone. I mean, some do. So we wanted to have at least a place where some of our major mushroom products could be bought and in their 100% whole, nothing else form for people. And, and that's especially good, I think. For practitioners because the practitioner might want to go yeah i really want to to have just a pure 100 percent reishi extract where i can tell people okay take a half a teaspoon or or you know a certain amount but that gives people and practitioners the opportunity to get our products in that uh, pure form yeah well and especially for us practitioners we want to make sure that we're getting the best possible thing in the right therapeutic dose uh, Absolutely. for patients. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the key. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, and, and it's very important, and, and that's why putting them out that way, to me, was very important, because we do get practitioners that, uh, I mean, we actually have practitioner accounts. We do have people calling us, and where can we get your products, and, and that. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, let me tell you, one of the hardest things in my business is somebody calling me up and, and they I've got cancer uh, somebody said medicinal mushrooms can you sell something to me and and we're a raw material supplier we we sell in in kilo amounts from from five kilos to a thousand kilos and we're not set up to to actually help people like that so for me I'm like I'm in a bind and I'm like okay so having these products gives us also a way for if somebody comes to us and they they ask for that we can say okay look yes we do have these products here's where you can get them and and that to me is is very important because i i really strongly believe that these mushrooms have very beneficial properties and very beneficial effects and i want people to to be able to uh, benefit from that yeah. Well, I very much appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, this time spent with you today has been great. I feel a lot smarter about mushrooms, and I'm hoping that uh, the listeners here feel more informed as well. Uh, we're about at the end of our time here. Jeff, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, you know, I, I guess what I'd like to say is is just that, you know, it's it's having been in business as long as I have and seeing the marketplace out there is just have to be very careful about what you purchase when you go out there into any store. And now that, that's the thing for me that has been such an issue and it's all has to do with quality and quality control. And that's what my company is really about. We want to put out the absolute best product possible. We want it to be genuine. We want it to be a hundred percent mushroom be aware of some of the information that I've given you today, because when you go into that store, whether it be Whole Foods or your natural foods market, 
I'm not kidding you, 80% of the products in there are going to be mycelium on grain and, and it will be confounding. And the person in there is going to point you to one of them as, as one of the products that they push. And, and so you really have to be aware of that. Whereas I think a practitioner maybe is a little bit smarter, but I, I tell you, Michael, I've talked to naturopaths, I've talked to herbalists, a lot of them have not had the time. And when you're talking about fungi, when you're talking about mushrooms, most of these people are, are know about green herbs. They're not that uh, um, intelligent when it comes to fungi. So, so they've been just like anybody else. They, they have been looking at uh, other information, listening to other people who are out there talking about these products. And so they, they have also been, let's just say confused about it all. And so I'm just trying to educate people. That's what I do when I go out to trade shows or have these podcasts. I'm trying to educate people to, so that they can make informed decisions. And, and I don't care whether you buy it from me, but as long as you can make an informed decision, that's the important part. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've visited your Namex website and there's lots of great information. So I do encourage listeners, uh, go to the show notes page. I've, I've got links to all that. And Jeff, if you have some other interesting research that you'd like to share with folks, just send that to me. I'll make sure there's an active link to it on the website. Absolutely. And I do. And I'll, I'll send you that because there is some very interesting research out there that uh, has to do with quality control of mushroom products. And it's a big issue right now in the industry, and I'm really pushing it out there. So I will do that. And certainly any other information that, that crosses my desk, and there's a lot of research that's coming out these days, I'll do the same, Michael. And I really appreciate you having me on today. It's been great talking to you. And um, Hopefully, we'll stay in contact, and, and anytime you want to talk mushrooms, hey, just, just let me know. Or if I want to go trout fishing in Patagonia. <laughs> I welcome you down there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. You're welcome, Michael. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.